Assalamu alaikum and bismillah. Insha'Allah, you are all in the best of health and iman, and insha'Allah, you are all staying safe and well during this difficult time. And most of all, insha'Allah, you are all staying home. So, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, I know it's taken me a while to get the third episode out, so please do forgive me. Life just got in the way. I was actually contemplating to give up doing the podcast but alhamdulillah i'm glad i haven't and due to some lovely sisters who kept asking about when is the third podcast coming out or kept um leaving me lovely feedback and comments about the podcast i already have out um yeah i decided to come back inshallah so this is specifically shout out to aishu so her at is a double i c h o u she is the specific reason why i am making the podcast today and tonight so barakallahu fiki sis your message literally warmed my heart and basically kicked my butt into gear so i could get up and record it because i keep meaning to but i just every time i do i just don't have the energy so alhamdulillah thank you so much so yeah today's episode is going to be a bit different it's going to be just me i have had a few uh emails and messages of sisters saying that they would like if i did more podcasts just by myself so I'm going to try it out. I don't know how I feel about it because I feel it's more harder to keep a conversation flowing or podcast interesting if it's just one person talking. But I'm going to give it a go and please do leave me your feedback or any criticism, whatever you feel I need to improve on. Let me know, inshallah. So without further ado, instead of me babbling on, I'm going to start with the topic. Today's topic, inshallah, is going to be how I started practicing. I figured it's an easy topic for me to talk about by myself because I'm talking about myself. Um, and I have had a, a huge request for this. I've just never got around to doing it, especially since I did do my Shilbeb story in my highlights on my Instagram. So, how it all began. <laughs> it's a long story and it was a... It was a quick transition, but it took a long time for me to get to where I started practicing, if that makes sense. Um, so a little bit about me and my background. So my mother is English, British. She's uh, not a born Muslim. She was never really somebody who practiced a faith 100%. I mean, she believes in God and she believed in God, but she never really, um, she came from a religious family christians but she i don't think whenever i ask her she doesn't say that she was really that practicing or um that interested she just knew that there was a higher being and that was it uh, my father however is north african um so he is a born muslim but of course with most north africans alhamdulillah they pray they fast they do the minimum that they need to do um, and the essentials but I, most families uh, they tend to do a lot more traditional things and cultural things so for my family it was a lot we obviously alhamdulillah we had islam in the home in terms of my father would always remind us that we are muslimin and we can't do this because of this reason and we can't do that because of that reason and he always obviously reminded us that we need to pray and we need to fear allah and stuff like that but um yeah, that we could have been doing more as a family to be much more religious basically so i didn't grow up in a very religious household um, especially with my dad working a lot I was just with my mum most of the time Alhamdulillah she did the best she could with the knowledge that she had on Islam however obviously not being a born Muslim or somebody who has studied Islam there will be things that she would be lacking on or wouldn't really understand or agree with so 
that's just a little backstory. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, growing up, I, I, I knew I was Muslim. I obviously knew right from wrong, and I knew what, um, what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing, what I should be staying away from. More particularly because I also spent a lot of time living in Algeria, so that was instilled in me because most of the religion is in the culture, anyways, in terms of how to dress modestly, obviously not interacting with the opposite sex. Um, so, yeah, so I had obviously the basics, uh, but I wasn't really that interested, to be totally honest with you guys, when it came to Islam. It wasn't something that interested me, um, especially when I hit my teenage years and I'd just come back from Algeria. It was kind of a rough patch because I'd just come back from Algeria and obviously that was a huge transition coming back from a Muslim country to the UK. There were so many different things like I just it was a t- it was a whole new world for me because I know I'd I'd lived in the UK prior to being in Algeria. So I don't want to babble on too much, but I went to live in Algeria when I was first 3 months old. And then stayed there till I was three or four years old. And then we came back to the UK. So I was born in the UK. But my family sent me off to... My family sent me and my brothers, because I'm a triplet, to Algeria. We stayed there for three to four years. My grandmother and my aunties and uncles raised us. So my family, my mother and father could work and buy a house. Um, and then we came back, alhamdulillah, after that. We stayed until we did our year six. We did year six here in the UK and then after year six we went back to Algeria and stayed in Algeria again for another three to four years and then we came back again so we'd come back just uh in time to do our GCSE so we had no prior studying to uh before that in terms of preparing for our GCSEs um and bearing in mind in Algeria we only were taught uh Arabic and uh French they did do English but it was very very basic so we did um forget a little bit of our English not all of it because obviously we spoke English with our parents because they were both with us the second time around alhamdulillah we all moved as a family back to Algeria um but yeah obviously we wasn't at the standard that the other kids were so yeah so that was when I obviously things changed for me because coming from a very sheltered a life in Algeria as a preteen, then going to the UK um, as a teenager. So when I arrived in the UK, I must have been about thirteen years old, uh, twelve to thirteen. I can't remember that much, but I'm sure I was either twelve or thirteen years old. No, no, I couldn't have been twelve to thirteen because I was in GCSEs. Um, anyways, I must have been fourteen or fifteen GCSEs, something like that. I can't remember specifically the age. But I was young. I was younger than 16. Um, so yeah, and obviously the school that I went to, I went to an academy school. So it was, again, filled with a lot of... Um, it was filled with a lot of uh, people from different... Well, not not many different backgrounds, but different um, financial backgrounds. So it, a lot of them were middle class or upper class. Um I was in living in a predominantly white area, white British area as well, even though I am half white. Uh, obviously, I don't uh, behave or have the same morals as what a non-Muslim would have. So I did stand out a bit even uh, just by looking at me because the girls would wear skirts, very, very, very short skirts, and I would wear trousers. Um, so yeah, so... 
obviously going to school, it was a bit difficult because, like I said, I was very different to what the girls were at school. I mean, the girls were... Not that there's anything wrong with being at different levels of your Iman. And obviously, the people that I'm going to be talking about are not Muslimin, so they didn't have the morals that we had, like I said. So the girls I did go to school with were wearing mini skirts, fake tan, full face of makeup, eyelashes, hair extensions, fake nails. So it was very different to me. Like, I was the plain Jane, no makeup. Um, My hair was usually always tied back. Um, very uh, loose trousers, like, alhamdulillah, I mean, I I wasn't bullied at school or anything, I was actually quite popular, alhamdulillah, to be honest, but um, yeah, I just was different from the other girls, I wasn't your typical, um, I was just wasn't the typical girl that was at that school, basically. Um, Alhamdulillah, I think one thing that helps me a lot stay grounded and not fall into doing the things that I'd mentioned was that I'm a triplet so my brothers were always with me um we were had we had a few classes together so they would always be watching me seeing if there's any boys chatting to me um so yeah you know at the time it probably was a bit stressful because they would get into a lot of fights um because they still had that fresh mentality of why are you looking at my sister why are you talking to my sister blah 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 and it would be simple things. It wasn't. It wouldn't be like talking in a flirtatious way. It would literally be them just asking questions because they were curious because we were triplets or curious about the new girl or just asking questions in general. Because um, I wasn't, again, I wasn't that type of girl. I'd, even though um, I wasn't practicing at that time, I, I wasn't at all into any of those things. I was, alhamdulillah, my parents raised me right and I knew right from wrong even though I wasn't practicing when it came to interacting with the opposite gender. Um, so, gosh, my mind's just gone blank. So yeah, my brothers kept me grounded because they was always around with me. So they definitely wouldn't let me wear a skirt. They definitely would let me wear something tight. So I always had a blessing with me. Alhamdulillah, I feel like Allah safeguarded me in that, in that way. Obviously, the only thing was I wasn't covered in terms of hijab. Um, I didn't wear my hijab until quite late on, to be honest. So here's the story how I wore my hijab and how I became practicing because, it all started with the day I wore my hijab, basically. So, the day before I wore my hijab was Yom Al-Arafah. So, it was the day of Arafah. And that was a day that my favorite uncle, who was like a father to me, Ami Samir, Allah Yarhamu, had passed away. So his his story was what basically inspired me and changed me for better. So, bi'idhnillah, I pray and I ask all of you please to keep him in your du'as and pray that Allah rewards him and Allah grants him jannah al-fardaus al-a'la insha'Allah and allows me to be a sadaqah jariyah for him even though he didn't reach to see his children or live to see his children, shall I say. So... So the day before Eid, um, my uncle Samir passed away. So his story, sorry, I said this, but I sort of forgot what I was getting to. So yeah, his story was he had been in the UK for 15 years without any legal papers. So he had been waiting for his citizenship for quite a while. Um, Alhamdulillah, after 15 years, he managed to get his citizenship and his um, passport and everything. So bearing in mind for those 15 years, he didn't go back to Algeria. He couldn't see his mother. He couldn't see, 
He couldn't see his sisters, he couldn't see his brothers, he couldn't even see his father pass away or be there for when his father needed to be buried. So he missed out on quite a lot. He didn't see his his brother's uh, marriages and weddings and children. Um, so he missed out on a lot, subhanAllah. So alhamdulillah, after 15 years, the first thing he did when he got his passport was go back to Algeria as he was actually engaged for a couple of years. So the first thing he decided to do was to go back home, see his family, see his uh, fiancé and get married. Um, and he just spend a bit of time there because he missed it so much and he never had obviously the opportunity to go back. So subhanAllah how Allah works in mysterious ways like Allah allowed him to stay alive until he got his papers just so he can go back to his country where he was born so he can die in his motherland in front of his mother and with his wife and with his um with most of his siblings because he does have siblings here like my father and my my two uncles and one of my aunties is here we have a big family alhamdulillah so there's quite a lot of us um so yeah so he went back he did his wedding alhamdulillah we all attended and like i was saying he uh is and was my favorite uncle um he was like my dad he was just like a dad to me um he would pick me up from school a lot he'd take me and my brothers out all the time he'd come over every weekend with new gifts and specifically i remember it would be tracksuits and trainers and he loved his nikes and adidas so he'd always spoil us with lovely new outfits to wear and he was all about comfiness every time i remember him i always remember him in like comfy tops and like tracksuit bottoms and and a cap a baseball cap <laughs> so oh, this is going to be an emotional uh, podcast i haven't really spoken much about him or when i do i try to just block out the emotions anyways um so yeah so uh we all attended his wedding and um it was beautiful 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 wedding um sorry i wish i I knew now what i knew then i would have spent so much more time with him but yeah he got married alhamdulillah um his wife fell pregnant very very quickly subhanallah i remember going into his room and just seeing him and his wife and he had bought trainers prior to going to algeria and it was of course nike trainers for a baby (laughs) and he showed them to his wife and was like this is going to be for our child like you're going to give me a child soon inshallah and she was like no 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 not yet it's too early no way and he said yeah just you wait and see and subhanallah lo and behold she fell pregnant so quickly with a boy and how again how Allah works in mysterious ways little did everybody know that that child will be the memory of my uncle Samir who passed away because everybody was a bit like wow that was too fast you should have waited a little bit not that it's anybody's business to be totally honest with you guys but you know what it's like family um, do say things like that when it comes to newly married couples I mean I got it when I fell pregnant with my son um anyway so yeah so she fell pregnant alhamdulillah he was going to be a dad he was so excited and um i just remember i just remember that the last words he said to me because prior to going to algeria he'd always been talking to me about hijab and he was the only uncle who would really sit down and actually take the time out to explain to me about hijab whereas my other uncles or other family members would usually sort of not be 
harsh but be a little bit screamy and forceful about it like you need to cover you need to this you need to that whereas he would sit me down I remember this specific conversation we had was I think I just must have had an argument with family members because they were really putting a lot of pressure on me to cover and I just I just felt attacked I wasn't interested in covering I didn't want to cover um I definitely like would have never pictured myself being niqabi if anything I didn't understand it I didn't like the look of niqab I didn't like niqab I, I, I wanted to stay away from sisters who wore niqab subhanallah so how Allah can change somebody's heart and I remember I, I, I rushed to the bathroom and burst out crying and he came after me and just sat me down and held my hand and said listen binti listen my daughter um like I said we had like a daughter father relationship um and he just sat me down and just said you know it's because we want the best for you and you're Muslim you need to remember where we come from and you know you you can take your time with it it's not something that we're forcing you to do but however we would uh, we would like for you to at least take some time to maybe learn a little bit more about it and think about it and just the fact that he took time out to actually sit down and talk to me in such a soft and gentle way really touched me but again after that conversation I never really thought about it again and I just oh just dropped my phone anyways I can stay down there and I just um continued my life not wearing hijab so by this time I was out of school and working um doing an apprenticeship so I'd got more into looking after my hair doing a bit of makeup dressing nicely so I was actually quite into taking care of myself so at by this point I wasn't interested at all whatsoever in hijab or covering again alhamdulillah I was still modest I didn't reveal myself but I like I obviously wore jeans and tops and stuff but I never wore shorts or skirts or mini dresses and stuff like that never ever ever before I'd leave the house, to be honest, my dad would always do a check and tell me to turn around so he can, like, do a whole 360 and just see if my my clothes are appropriate. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, fast forward back to when we was in Algeria. So, the last words he said to me, so this was the day that we was leaving to go back to the airport. He looked at me, he smiled, and he said, Binti, again, he said, my daughter, the next time I see you, I hope to see you in hijab. Um, SubhanAllah, it's never hit me, but it's just hit me now that the next time he will be seeing me in the letter, if we meet and we are in Jannah, it will be covered. Wow. More covered than what he would have expected. Um, but yeah, so those were his last words to me. He gave me a hug and a kiss and he said, next time I see you, with like a, a cheeky smile, he said, I'm going to see you with hijab, okay? Promise deal i said to him yeah 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 like uh uh-huh okay yeah sure um not knowing that those words would affect me so much on such a huge level and change me forever so we went back to the uk obviously he stayed in algeria for a few months Uh, i think three months he was there or maybe just a little bit more um, and yeah, so uh, we we all got back to our lives, our daily routines, and then I get a call that we get a call that he'd he'd passed away. Allah yarhamu. Um, so how he passed away was also a huge impact on how and why I became practicing. So he passed away on the day of Arafah, so the day before Eid. Um, he he had gone to the masjid i'm not too sure what salat he went for it was either asr or 
Maghrib, I can't remember 100%, but I know he'd gone to the masjid to pray. So he'd gone to the masjid to pray. And bearing in mind, again, subhanAllah, how Allah changes and turns hearts. When he was in the UK, he wasn't practicing at all. He didn't pray. Um, he just, I'd never seen him really into Quran or praying, but I, it was just amazing. When he returned back to Algeria, he started to pray. Um, I'm sure he started to read the Quran. He started to go to the masjid to pray his prayers on time in the masjid. And it was just a beautiful transition from somebody who had never really given any inkling that he was a practicing Muslim. So it was just beautiful to see and to hear that he, out of all people, had such a beautiful death is just so heartwarming and allows me to always be reminded that Allah is so merciful and can change somebody's hearts within seconds and give you the best ending ever, even if you haven't been working up to it all your life. It takes one pure intention, maybe one pure good deed, and Allahu alam, maybe that is the deed that gives you the beautiful ending. So yeah, so he'd gone to the masjid to pray um, and the imam noticed that he was looking a bit unwell. He didn't look too good. So he said to him, you know, go back home, break your fast, have a bit of a rest and then come back inshallah and pray Aisha if you, if you feel better. So my uncle took the imam's advice. He went back home um, and on the way home, he... Uh, passed by a restaurant and he paid for everybody there so they could break their fast Allahumma barik so he did that good deed and then he carried on back home and went up to his room and I think had a lie down for a little bit and um, yeah so he lied down for a little bit then he got up to go to the bathroom and do his wudu and from what I'm told by his wife and my grandmother because he lived with his wife and his mother so my grandmother um she sorry he got up and as he got up and got to the door of his bedroom he collapsed um bearing in mind my uncle was a huge man he was like six foot something he was huge and he was very built he was big built as well so i can't even imagine how hard and how stressful and how scary that must have been for his wife and my uncle my uh grandmother sorry because bearing in mind his wife was pregnant at that stage probably two or three months pregnant my grandmother is very very old and she hasn't seen her son for years i mean only when she comes for holidays and goes back so not for long and he's again like i said i don't know if i mentioned his age but he was 33 years old he was very very young he had no health issues it was just such a sudden death and not expected so obviously they're panicking thinking what's wrong like he's not been ill there's nothing wrong with him subhanallah what's going on so anyways they they help him up they both of them sort of stagger together and try and lift my very heavy uncle up they managed to get him up alhamdulillah and they help him to the bathroom so he's still determined to continue to do his wudu so he gets to the bathroom and he tries to do his wudu but again he collapses and physically just can't so they managed to lay him down in the bath and the whole way through it his wife is obviously begging him like stay with us like stay awake like come on you're okay you're okay please don't leave me I, I mean you're gonna be a dad and he's just promising her like don't worry I'm here I'm not going anywhere I'm gonna be here for you and this child and I'm gonna be a dad um so obviously the ambulance didn't arrive on time so what ended up happening is a lot of um people from the neighborhood and neighbors ended up rushing in because obviously they heard all the commotion probably was a lot of screaming so they rushed in 
um because again he was a big guy they had to they, they couldn't all carry him so what they had to do was wrap him up in a carpet so they could all lift him so it was easier for them to lift him up so they wrapped him up in a carpet and they put him in the back of my older uncle's van so his older brother and he drove him to the general hospital there Mustafa Basha and they didn't have a defibrillator so by the time he'd got to the hospital he had passed away in the car and they didn't have a defibrillator in the hospital to try and maybe re resuscitate him or try maybe send some shocks through his body to see if they can wake him up and obviously massage his heart and stuff they didn't have the equipment that they needed to do those things so there was no chance of maybe trying to bring him back and again even if they did and Allah decreed him to die then he would have died regardless so that is the story of his death he died while fasting while feeding the fasting and the poor uh, with the intention to get up and pray and do his wudu uh, on the day of Arafah, the day before Eid. So, I mean, subhanAllah, what a beautiful way to die. What a beautiful way to die. Allahumma etna husn al-khatima, ya Rab. I'm so sorry if this episode is really emotional and um, may be a bit cringy for some or all. But like I said, I haven't really spoken about this. Um, and I try not to because it's a very touchy subject for me as I said we were very close and he was like a dad to me Um, my dad was very very busy when we were younger with work Uh, may Allah reward him obviously he was putting food on the table so my uncle tried it as as much as he could to not let us fill that um, void so uh, yeah so um obviously my dad tried to do as much as he could with us alhamdulillah but again i'm just saying my uncle was there a lot for us um that doesn't mean my father wasn't um just to clarify um so that's how he died so yeah that was the day yom al-arafah was the day i found out that he passed away and that is when after hearing the way he died after remembering the last words he said to me in person um everything sort of just hit me like a ton of bricks and I remember crying for a whole week my eyes were so swollen that they had closed shut I wasn't eating I wasn't drinking it was just a horrible shock to my system but on that day that he passed away I had I I just I don't know it's like my my everything had changed within a second like I had just become a total new person my mindset was different, my thought process was different, my fear, my everything was different, I started to think about Allah, I started to think about death, I was afraid of death, Um, because it put a lot into perspective to realise that he was 33 years old, no health conditions, a very healthy man, and Allah took him, so there's no discrimination when it comes to death, Allah could take me any second, you know, death hasn't got a, a agenda on it, it doesn't have an age on it, it doesn't have a specific criteria for it. Anybody and anyone could um, be taken at any time, subhanAllah. So that obviously put a lot of fear in my heart. Um, and made me realise that I really need to fix up. Again, like I said, even though I wasn't doing terrible things. But I wasn't covered correctly as I should have been in terms of my hair. And also makeup and stuff like that. So the next day was Eid. The next day I woke up and 
I just threw on a scarf and walked out the door and I put a hijab on. I remember my mom specifically saying, Amina, don't do this like this. You need to be 100% sure. Come on, don't put it on just yet. Wait, wait, wait. Um, and I must have been at 16 or 17. And I remember just saying to her, no, mom, this is it. This is time. I've made my mind up. I'm wearing it. Because prior to that, I hated the hijab. I hated having to cover hair. I hated anything to do with like covering my hair and... Uh, I don't know what else but because I remember going to Algeria at one point and not being covered my, like my hair and I remember my aunties and grandma like begging me like okay okay at least just put a shawl over your head you don't have to do a hijab just put a shawl over your head just so obviously you don't bring a lot of attention to yourself um and I refused point blank I was like no if that's the case I'm not going out like I'm not putting a, a scarf over my head so subhanallah how Allah turns hearts Allah um so yeah so like i said i did a whole 360 i ended up from not wanting to be anywhere near hijab to putting it on straight away without any hesitation and being adamant that i'm keeping it on and then that was when my journey began so his death and his words sparked it all um so i think the first two uh islamic books i read was firstly was the don't be sad because i read that during his obviously when he died i was reading that book and that helped soothe me a lot um and i before that i never really picked up the quran i never really was interested in learning so that book obviously it definitely has a lot of references from uh the quran it has a few ahadith so it really really helps me in terms of connecting maybe and wanting to know more about islam and the quran because it had words from the quran itself um sentences and ayahs and verses from the quran itself and then the second book was when i that's when i started to really enjoy it so the second book was i read the biography of muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam, our prophet and i was hooked like guys when i say hooked i remember i would read this book in the bath i would read the book on the train bearing in mind i didn't i was newly practicing so i didn't really understand that i couldn't uh have certain words in the bathroom and stuff like that so please don't come for me i was just starting out okay so yeah i would read it when i was on my way to work i would read it on the bus i'd read it at night in the morning any spare time that i got on my break any spare time that i got i'd be reading this book i was hooked um and it was it's a, a book called the life of uh the life of muhammad or the life of the prophet muhammad والسلام, and it's got a blue cover i can't remember who it's by but i just remember having it and really 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 like loving the book and i remember the i think it's in the book yeah in the book the main story that really caught me was the the story of um the story of the elephant uh, because obviously the that was the year that muhammad والسلام, was born the story of uh, the uh, of the elephants when they when the elephant came to try when that the man came to try and um destroy the kaaba and then obviously the allah sent the birds and all, all, that whole story um uh yeah so when abraha came to try and destroy the kaaba and allah sent the elephant uh sorry he abraha came to try to destroy the kaaba with his army and loads of uh, elephants and obviously allah sent down uh sent birds to petal them with stones basically um, and the Kaaba was obviously then not destroyed and the elephant refused to move anyways um so that story just basically fascinated me because i was like wow we look we watch and read like fantasies like harry potter and 
I don't know, The Wizard of Oz and all these things that we watch because we we we're intrigued by this 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 thought of magic and and uh and a higher power and all these things and yet we have all these stories of Panna that are real, they're not fake, they're real in our own book, in our own religion and that just really inspired me to learn so much more about Islam and learn all the the stories of our prophets and um really brought a love for it. So that's how it started out and then obviously um it just got more and more and more i started to learn more to read more and at that time as well at the age of 17 ish i uh 17 going on to 18 i got engaged to my husband alhamdulillah who at the time also was practicing so again he was also part of my practicing story because he aided me in learning more and really inspired me also to try and become better and do better um so yeah so that's really my story through my uh uncle's death and obviously carried on and continued with my husband being by my side and inspiring me so uh to my husband if he listens I'm, i don't think he'll listen to this but if he does thank you so much for being my support at that hard time and inspiring me to be a better version of myself and get closer to allah um and yeah and for my uncle may allah my uncle may allah make this for him may Allah reward him abundantly and may Allah grant him the highest ranks in Jannah Ameen and may Allah please may Allah allow his offspring to be righteous so if if I can ask any of you guys for any dua please I'm asking you from the bottom of my heart if after this podcast you can take just a minute out to make dua for my uncle and also for his child he did have a son his son was named Samir after him um but I would love if you guys could all make dua that Allah guides his son and allows him to be a beautiful legacy left for my uncle um, so he can gain reward through him. As we all know, the famous hadith that um, a Muslim only leaves three things behind and one of them is a righteous child that he can benefit from. So I pray that his son will grow up to be a righteous man uh, and uh, a pillar of the ummah, inshallah. Um, so that's really it and uh, again uh, my story continued and my practicing um, stayed strong only through the fact that um, well firstly only through the will of Allah and secondly just through learning more so for anybody out there who wants to try to better themselves and become more practicing know that the best and the only way you can do it firstly is through Allah pure intentions and then also gain knowledge so for me when I wore my it was purely due to the fact of knowledge that I came across the fact that I wasn't really wearing the hijab correctly even though I wore hijab and abaya when I did first wear my hijab um, it was obviously styled out belts uh, makeup etc so after coming across a video actually by Sheikh Abdurrahman Hassan um, may Allah be pleased with him uh, which is called the correct hijab um that is when I realized that I need to up my game and do better when it comes to covering. So I I watched that video on the bus, actually, on the way to work. <laughs> and um, it was either on the way to work or I was having a training training at work. So I, was, I remember I was in like normal clothes. Um, and I remember watching it and then like quickly taking it off and thinking, no, 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 I, I do not want to finish watching this because if I do, it's going to be on my mind and I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about it. And I'm just going to end up doing what this person is telling me because I'm that kind of person. If I find something out, then I instantly want to implement it because I have um, 
I wouldn't say anxiety, but then it will keep playing on my mind that, oh my God, Allah knows that you know this, but you're still not choosing to do it. So for that whole week, it played on my mind that I knew that Allah knows that I watched that video and I'm still refusing to cover as he wants me to and as he told us to. Um, so eventually after that week, alhamdulillah, I went and I bought my first shalbab and um, yeah, I bought my first shalbab. I tried it out when I wore it. And I absolutely loved it. it. I just felt amazing. I was so happy. So yeah, like the best uh, piece of, of advice you can take from that story is learn, learn, learn. When you learn, Allah softens your heart in and you will implement. Implementation will become so much more easier if you have the knowledge to aid you and keep you motivated. So again, for me, what helps me stay practicing or uh, try to go more steps is learn about the thing that I want to do or the thing that I shouldn't be doing learn its reward if it's something that I should be doing uh, that will please Allah learn its reward and learn the punishment for not doing it Uh, and if it's a sin learn the punishment that I will be getting if I do that thing and learn the reward I will be getting if I stay away from that sin so these are the things that keep me motivated in terms of staying practicing keeping covered not wearing makeup when I wear my jilbab and niqab making sure I don't wear perfume when I go out all of these things obviously it, it, it was a journey I never did these things straight away when I first wore my jilbab I did wear makeup alhamdulillah very soon after I stopped wearing makeup so alhamdulillah that was a blessing from Allah that I realized this isn't right I shouldn't be wearing jilbab and makeup it doesn't go it's co- totally contradicting what I'm trying to do but bearing in mind everybody is at their own um, pace and is on their own journey so as long as you are trying your best to stop wearing the makeup and to please Allah and to stop doing perfume and all the other things then alhamdulillah that's something um, so yeah, that helps me a lot in terms of, because I'm 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 quite a cold turkey person, like if I want to do something, then that's it, cold turkey, I'll stop doing that thing, if I don't want to be doing it anymore. So for me, alhamdulillah, very quickly, I stopped wearing the makeup, and then again, very, very, very quickly after, I stopped wearing perfume outside as well. Um, and I've been wearing my jilbab now, ugh, just over four years, alhamdulillah, and my niqab just over... My niqab now over a year, maybe a year and a half, coming on to two years now, alhamdulillah. Um, no, 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 sorry, astaghfirullah. A year, just just slightly over a year, because my son was one when I put my niqab on properly. Because I did wear it on and off beforehand, but when I put it on permanently and didn't take it off, it's been a year, inshallah. So that is my story, really. Um, I hope I haven't missed anything out, and I hope I've made sense. I know I've been jumping a little bit back and forth, Um and also another thing, I probably am speaking very fast. Something my mother always tells me off for. So I'm going to try and work on that, inshallah. But with that said, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, and please do send me back your feedback, your critique, your critique, your criticism, sorry. And uh, any suggestions that you would uh, want me to uh have a read through and uh, any suggestions on topics any questions whatever it is feedback just send me whatever you feel like you want to send me um at you can either do that on my instagram which is hidden underscore so h-i-double-d-e-n-u-k-h-t underscore hidden underscore or you can uh, email me on yours truly hidden at gmail.com 
I'm sure it is dot com. Um, anyways, I'll have the details for all of those things in the uh, bio of this episode, inshallah. Without further ado, please everybody stay safe, stay home, and please do try to remember the people that are on the front line, risking their lives to keep everybody safe. Be that the nurses, the janitors, the cleaners of the hospitals, carers for care homes, um, police officers, bus drivers, the people in the... the oh, gosh my mind is going blank uh people who work in grocery stores everybody and anybody that is out there that is making life a little bit more easier for people like us who are at home and have the luxury to be at home please remember them the next time you want to go out or you want to go somewhere that is really unnecessary and not needed um with that said i want to give a big thank you out to every single person out there that is doing their best to help aid everybody in this crisis um so yeah السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته